little hot, a little hot. Thanks. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to meet here, to gather here, to talk about your scripture. Thank you so much for the opportunity to worship as well. Lord, I pray that you'll bless the folks that are here uh, as we dive into talking more about marriage and uh, conflict resolution. We ask that you will uh, give us grace inside of our marriages, give us grace with our kids, teach us how to forgive, give us the strength to let go of past hurts, give us the courage to trust again. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Glad you are here. We are in the middle of a series called Manifest. And this series has a lot to do with marriage, has a lot to do with relationships, has a whole lot to do with um, the idea of, of taking responsibility for the things that belong to you. There's things that belong to you, issues that belong to you. Uh, I, I referred to Mike and Kathy McEwen's class, and one of their, one of their great lines is when you step into their marriage class, Write your name on a piece of paper, circle it, fix everything in the circle, and when you're done, then you can start criticizing your spouse or correcting your spouse or changing your spouse, and that's not what we're uh, really uh, too keen on doing. What we like to do is, um, I like to write my name on a piece of paper, and I like to circle it and say, this is the most important person in the world. Everybody else needs to fall in line with what I want. And that's how we oftentimes operate. The reason we call it manifest is because manifest is this thing that produces. The manifest presence of God is the term we keep going back to. It's the idea that you and I get our marriages in such shape that the world looks in over the tops of our fences and they say, that's absolutely miraculous. How does that happen? It can only be God. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds and glorify God. Do you know why that happens? Here's why that happens. Because if you ever see an incredible, incredible marriage, like you know, the institution of marriage is already difficult. And if you see somebody doing it right, it must be God. Billy Graham's wife was asked one time, have you and, have you and the great Reverend Graham ever considered divorce? And his very, very sweet, sweet wife says, no, we've never considered divorce. Murder? Yes. <laughs> divorce? No. Last week, we left off in the middle of a conflict between a husband and a wife. We're in Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 5. And if you remember, Solomon is pursuing a physical relationship with his wife. And the door is slammed in his face. Let me read it to you. Starting in verse 2, 
the bride speaks. I slept, but my heart was awake. Listen, my lover is knocking. Open to me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my flawless one. My head is drenched with dew, my hair with the dampness of the night. And she says, I have taken off my robe. Must I put it on again? I've washed my feet. Must I soil them again? And then my lover thrust his hand through the opening, of the opening latch of the door. And my heart began to pound for him, and I arose to open for my lover. And my hand dripped with myrrh, my fingers with flowing myrrh. And I opened for my lover, but my lover had left. He was gone. My heart sank at his departure. I looked for him, but I did not find him. I called for him, but he did not answer. And then the watchmen found me as they made their way in their rounds in the city. And they beat me, and they bruised me, and they took away my cloak. And those watchmen of the walls... O daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, if you find my lover, what will you tell him? Tell him I am faint with love. He approaches her with expectation. Just a chapter prior, he came to her the same way on their honeymoon night, and he approached her, and he was met with this wonderful union of marital intimacy, he and her. And so his expectation is that this should go like this all of the time. And he approaches her, and in a fleeting moment of selfishness, she slams the door on him. But you notice what he didn't do. He didn't get angry. He didn't withhold love. He didn't withhold affection. In fact, what he did was just the opposite. He took liquid myrrh, this idea of this rich, aromatic oil, and he put it on the very lock that locked him out from her. On the bedroom chamber, he blesses, check this out, her reason as well as her relationship with him. Hey, that's okay. Like, his, his actions say, that's okay. I still love you. Now, here's what else he does that's great. He lets the watchman handle the problem. We talked about this last week. If you try to interfere with punishing your spouse for something they've done wrong, God will step out of the way and let you do it, and you will not do it nearly as well as he will. God will get him. God will get her. You, on the other hand, you're just going to be mean and cause more of a fight. You're just going to prolong the pain. God will do something different. God will turn a stone heart into a heart of flesh. You will only embitter one further. This is why we back out of the way and we say, okay, I'm going to let God handle this, this situation. The reason we say that this is the watchman of the wall are the Holy Spirit is because in a previous chapter, I think chapter three, she encounters these same watchmen and they lead him, they lead her to this man. And all of a sudden she's like, this is the man for me. And now these same watchmen come along and they say, now you've been ugly to that man. Guys, let me tell you something. If you're a man of God, here's the thing. If you're a man of God and your wife is nasty to you, how do you think God takes that? Like, not good. Like, you're going to get scolded, ladies. Like, if your husband is a man of God and you do this guy badly, 
you're going to get scolded because you don't do that. This is, you don't believe me? Hop in the scriptures and start reading. People who've been ugly to men of God all the way through, it does not turn out good. You've got to be good to that man. If he is not a man of God, here's what scripture says. Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives, treating them with respect as the weaker vessel, so that your prayers are not hindered. Do you know what happens if you're not a man of God? And you treat your wife poorly? God closes his ears. Excuse me? Can't make it out. Sorry? And it doesn't matter what you're asking for. It's been shut off. This is a two-way street. Suddenly, this woman becomes very self-aware. I have done my husband dirty. She becomes very self-aware of this. And something inside of her changes. The Holy Spirit does the work on the inside. And her heart is changed. And listen what happens. She says, I arose for my lover, but he was gone. It goes on down. Verse 9. How is your beloved better than others? I'm sorry, back up. Verse 8. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you. If you find my lover, what will you tell him? Now, she has charged the daughters of Jerusalem previously. She has said, daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and the hinds of the field. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Now she summons for the daughters of Jerusalem. And she says, oh, daughters of Jerusalem. Oh, daughters of Jerusalem. If you find my husband, what will you tell him? Tell him, I am sorry. I'm sick. I'm lovesick. I'm sick. I'm sick. I'm sorry. I want to fix this. Look what happens here. Verse 9. The friends, the daughters of Jerusalem, they say, How is your beloved better than others? <laughs> this is really good. Most beautiful of women. How is your beloved better than others? that you charge us. The question is asked twice. How is your lover better than others? How is your lover better than others? Do you know what a really good practice would be? In the middle of a fight, when you're looking at this person and you're thinking, I should trade her in. You start asking yourself the question, what makes her better than most? And notice it's repeated for emphasis. What makes her better than most? This is not a natural thing. This is counterintuitive. You do not want to go to that place. What you want to do is like, you know what? I can tell you what. Billy's wife doesn't treat him this way. But what he's saying is this. How is she better than most? How is she better than most? And the ladies ask her, how is your husband better than most? How is he better than most? And then listen what she says. This is absolutely brilliant. She speaks, verse 10, My lover is radiant and ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Here we go. His head is the purest gold. His hair is wavy and black as a raven. His eyes are doves by the water streams, washed in milk, mounted like jewels. His cheeks are like beds of spice, yielding perfume. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with chrysolite. His body is like polished ivory, decorated with sapphires. His legs, pillars of marble, set on bases of pure gold. His appearance is like Lebanon, choice as its cedars. His mouth is sweetness itself. He is altogether lovely. This is my lover, 
This is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. What do you hear in this speech? If you were present for these other messages, what do you hear this woman do? She's now doing something for. Who was the first one to start reciting this kind of poetry? Solomon. And now she, in turn, re returns the words back to him. Can I tell you how to resolve a conflict at your house? Let me tell you this. It is an art. It is not a science. Some of you think it's a science. Well, I said I'm sorry. One plus one is two. You did wrong. You said sorry. Or I did wrong. I said sorry. Now you forgive me. Do it. And if you don't, now you're the bad guy. Like you just get, it's, that, it's just like that. I was wrong. I said I'm sorry. Now forgive me. Don't hold it against me. And I don't want to pay for nothing. It's not a science. It's an art. You want to know how to do it? It works this way. One. A. Admit you were wrong. Period. Not a comma. Yeah, but. No. Period. Admit you were wrong. What can I admit she was wrong too? Admit you were wrong. I was wrong. But here's the thing. No, you do not need to explain. Listen, in miscommunication, if there's miscommunication, then explain what you were trying to say and what you were trying to think. That's miscommunication. A situation like this, this is not a miscommunication. This is pure selfishness. And when they meet there in pure selfishness, she says, I am sorry. I am lovesick. She didn't say, here's the deal. It was a long day yesterday. I was worn out. It's just, you're like a puppy, always with the cold nose. You know, it's just always, this is, it's for, for I mean, I just want to be left alone. She didn't say anything about anything. All she said was, I'm sorry. She didn't need to explain herself. Guys, here's where we are really, really, really good at it, at least in my house. Yeah, 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 yeah. But here's where I got mad. No, no, no. You own you, Jared. You own you. Everything you did wrong, you own it. This is not something that's mingled together. Like this is an offense and then an offense and then an offense. And what this says is this. Admit you're wrong. Just own the fact that you're wrong. A, admit the wrong. And she does. I was wrong. Here's the next part. It is an art. R. Reuse their words. Do you know the joy of being married? Some of you are like, please tell me. I would love to know. <laughs> you know one of the joys of being married? Is that if you want to know how to apologize and fix a relationship with that person, they've already told you. But here's what we do. Let me give you, a, let me give you an example. At my house, physical touch for me and words of affirmation are important. If my wife does something wrong to me or hurts my feelings or makes me sad or disrespects me in some way that kind of crushes a part of my spirit, here's what happens. I begin to withdraw and my feelings are hurt. Now, if she wants to recover and rebuild the relationship, here's what she has to do. This is my love language. Here's what she has to do. She has to come in and say, I was wrong. I was wrong. For whatever reason, that goes a long way with me. I don't want an excuse on why you weren't exactly wrong or why you were kind of right. Here's what I need to know. Were you wrong or were you... Listen, well, I didn't mean to. Well, did it stop it from happening? 
Well, I wasn't, here's a great one. Oh, oh, couples are good at this. Well, I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings. Oh, well, that stops the bus, right? Absolutely it does not stop the bus. Just because you weren't trying to hurt somebody's feelings does not mean you did not hurt somebody's feelings. I was wrong. Admit it or reuse their words. If my wife wants to speak with me, if she comes to me and she says, you know what, I was wrong. And then she steps into my bubble, my personal bubble, and she physically touches me. It's over. I lose. I lose every time. Doesn't matter how strong I want to be. Doesn't matter how mad I want to be. I lose instantly. It's over. It, it, I'm completely disabled. If she comes over, puts her hands on me and says, look at me. I'm sorry. I was wrong. Done. I don't care how mad I was. It, now, there have been times to where she has started across the room. Jared, listen, let me talk to you. And I'm like, but, but you, you know, I'm not done being angry uh, yet. I'm not done yet. Give me a minute because I know as soon as she touches me, that being a love language for me, it's over. It has to be squashed immediately. You live with a person who you know the way they think and you know the way they speak. Speak their words. If I offend my wife, I know exactly what I need to do. I can go to her and I can send her flowers. I can write her poetry. I can buy her clothes. I can get her gift cards. I can do all this. It does not make any difference whatsoever. If I do not change, this is the spiritual act of repentance. Confession is saying I am wrong. Repentance is turning around and changing the behavior. Confession is saying that I was wrong. Repentance is a turning of the actions and going the other direction. If I hurt my wife, if I offend my wife, if I do something to drop the ball in our life, then what I have to do to make it right is I have to go to her. I have to say, I'm wrong. That was my fault. That was my fault. I'm going to fix this situation. I will take care of this. I will go handle this situation. And then if I step up and I take care of that, then it can go away because that is her language. It's acts of service. It's domestic support. If my family does not become my number one priority, then I cannot resolve the, the issue or the fight with my wife. You live with somebody who you know their language, so when it's time for you to go to them and recover and rebuild that relationship, use their words. That's exactly what she does. She comes to Solomon and she says, your eyes are doves. You mean that doesn't connect with Solomon? He's been saying this for chapters now. Your eyes are doves. Your eyes are doves. And she looks at him and she says, your eyes are doves. And it doesn't matter how mad this man is. It's like, hmm, that was good. That was really, really good. Here's what's really interesting. She says, he is, a rad he is radiant, he is ruddy, outstanding among 10,000. Verse 11, his head is pure gold, his hair is wavy and black. Listen, if my wife looks at me and she says, your hair is so black, you know what she's not saying? Your hair is so gray. <laughs> I'm okay if she lies to me, if it has to do with me, I'm all right with that. Your hair is so black. I know. I know. That means I'm young. That's good. Your eyes are doves by streams, bathed in milk, mounted like jewels. This woman is reaching. We did not hear this kind of language from her in any of the previous chapters. 
And now we do. Where did she pick it up from? She picked it up from him. She knows exactly what language this man speaks, and she's going to disarm him. Ladies, you have the power to disarm your angry man. Do you understand me? You have the power. Do you have the courage? Do you have the humility? That's the question. You, have, you know exactly how to do it. Do you have the courage? Do you have the humility to step into that? Guys, same way. You can disarm your spouse. You know you can disarm your wife. It's probably going to cost you. It's probably going to cost you. Here's what you hear in this woman's words. Number one, you hear Solomon's format. Solomon's format. She starts speaking his language. Your head, your hair, your eyes, your cheeks, your body, your mouth. You also hear Solomon's language. Doves, bathe, jewels, bed of spice, gold, cedars. These are all Solomon's words. Here's something else that you'll hear. You will also hear her use of words that describe, check this out, how he makes her feel. Solomon looked at her and said, you are stunning because you look like this. Visually, you are beautiful and pretty. Solomon isn't saying anything about, and it's making my heart just flutter within. He didn't say that. Solomon looked at her, and he's just like, they, they, they look like deer. They're, you're, you're smoking hot. Like, I, I want to go out with you. Um, mountain of Spice and, and the Hills of Bether. Like, this is, like, this is what Solomon does. He's not talking about any of this. But listen to what she says. This is pretty good. His lips are like lilies dripping with myrrh, meaning he is sweet with his words. His arms, the Hebrew says hands, his hands are rods of gold set with chrysolite. They're pure, they're gentle, not aggressive. His body is like polished ivory decorated with sapphires. That's a really good one, ladies, just so you know. You tell your man he looks fit. You know, that's, a good, that's a good start. You know, don't be like, I think, you're, I think your fat back is cute. Like, that's not, that's not that cool, really. His legs are pillars of marble set on bases of pure gold. This man's stable. His mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. She begins to use his words and his format to speak how he makes her feel. I'm sorry, and she's returning to him. One, you admit it. A, admit you're wrong. Uh, the second one, R, reuse their words. You want to get to that? You want to you get to your spouse? You want to turn it? You want to recover it? You want to rebuild it? Use their words. Is it acts of service? Acts of service. Is it, is it uh, words of affirmation? Words of affirmation. Is it physical touch? Then physical touch. You speak their language. This is not the opportunity for you to stand up and be like, well, I'd like to express myself. No, you wouldn't. That is not the time. You, what you want to do is you want to express her heart. And you come to her and express her heart. Listen, it's my fault. It's not on you. I was harsh. I wasn't kind. I'm sorry. I think you're an exciting person. I don't think you're boring at all. I apologize for what I said. You meet them there. T. Then you trust again. Now, this becomes a very difficult place. 
If you found yourself in this place specifically or in other places or in other places of betrayal, it may be very hard for you in the culture, in the world that we live in. I can't imagine that, there are, that everybody here has never been betrayed by somebody that they deeply, dearly love. I assume most of us probably have in some way. So here's the final step, and it's hard, and this is why it is an art and not a science. You admit it, you reuse their words, and then you trust again. You trust again. Well, I'm not going to trust her. No, you trust again. If you don't establish trust, then there is nothing to build love up on. Nothing. You can't build a family without trust. You can't build a relationship without trust. You can't build love without trust. And so you have to trust again. Well, it's dangerous. True. True. But you have to trust again. Jesus knew exactly what men were about. And yet he stepped from heaven into our lives and let us abuse him and mistreat him, to betray him and deny him, to falsely accuse him and put him in kangaroo court and finally execute him. And at any point, he could have stopped it all from happening, but he continued to turn the other cheek until it cost him his life. And if you think that whatever betrayal has happened inside your relationship is beyond forgiveness, then you do not understand the gospel message. Because the gospel message is one of, listen, take up your cross and follow me. What does it look like to follow Jesus? To take up your cross and follow him. That is to be like him. And if he would be willing to step from heaven and lay down his life, allow his blood to cover the multitude of our sins, and then resurrect, so to go and prepare a place for us, and promise his return. What do you think the responsibility of a husband is to a wife? It's that. I've told this story before. I absolutely love it. A young lady I know, her and her boyfriend getting in a fight, an argument. They were constantly bickering. And he didn't understand her and she didn't understand him. And then she said to him, he said to her, don't you understand I would die for you? And she, in turn, responded, but that's not what I need, is it? I need someone willing to live for me. Men, let's be honest, some days it would be easier to take a bullet. It just would. There are just situations it'd be like, put me down now. Jesus came back again. He came, we got rid of him, he returned. He's going to come again. What's the love of a husband supposed to look like? One that re-enters and trusts again. Listen, guys, this is kind of hard, and I'm going to be as gentle as I possibly can about it. Your ego is going to suffer in marriage. <laughs> right? Your ego is going to suffer a little bit in your marriage. That's okay. That is a useful tool that Jesus is using, your wife, using to 
make you a better person, more in the likeness of Jesus Christ, the most humble servant ever. That's the tool that he's choosing to use. If you're trying to hold your marriage, I mean, trying to hold your ego intact inside of your marriage, I get news for you. You may not understand what marriage is for. It's not for that. It's not, it's not to have somebody who just sings your song and sings your praises all the time. They are going to be used by God to put you where you need to be and teach you how to be a servant in the likeness of Jesus Christ who did not come to be served but to serve. That's the call of a husband. Husband, here's the good news. If we do this faithfully, the only thing left is for the watchman to begin to convict the hearts of our spouses and they will follow. I was sitting with a young man the other day and we were having a conversation and I explained to him there is a principle about the way men and women work and it's this. Men are designed to lead and be the spiritual leaders of their household. But if ever inside of a marriage you look up and you notice that your wife is not following your lead there's only one reason why. Because there is no visible leader. Men, if our spouses are not following us, as we follow God, if they're not following us, there's only one reason why. We went off course somewhere. We're not following him no more. We started mowing our own path through the woods. And now what we have to do is repent, turn around, come find the path that Jesus was on and start following it. And then they in turn will follow us. It's a very humbling, humbling road. What builds trust? Let me tell you what builds trust. Ladies, I'll tell you a secret. I'll tell you a secret. And I think the guys will be thrilled that if you can internalize this, ladies, it will take you millions of miles. Do you know what a husband really, 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 really wants from a wife? I'll tell you. I know it. And this sums it up so perfectly. And this woman right here, she understands it so crystal clear. Here's exactly what a husband wants. A lover and a friend. I want her to be my lover, and I want her to be my very best friend. I was talking to my dad one day. We were talking about friendship, and we were talking about marriage, and we were talking about, you know, like, like you have buddies who are best friends, but is your spouse ever your best friend? And, you know, my dad said this, said something really wise. He said, uh, I didn't marry my best friend. I had other best friends. I didn't marry my best friend. But through the years, 45, 46 years, she's become my best friend. Now I'm married to my best friend. That's a good goal. That's a good goal. To be in that place to where you and your spouse, as you grow older, become more and more entwined into this wonderful, fantastic, forever sleepover that you get to have with your best friend. That's a good goal. Not that you are contemporaries or you have to be butting up against each other all the time, but you begin to build this relationship. Listen to what she says right here. Chapter 5, verse 16. His mouth is sweetness itself. He's altogether lovely. This is my lover. This is my friend. 
Ladies, you want to build trust with your husband? You want to put that relationship back together from the moments, the times, the, those, th- that you've done him wrong, you've hurt his feelings, you've rejected him on some level, and he feels that sting? You want to make it right? Listen, here's what you need. You need to be his lover, and you need to be his friend. You need to be his lover, and you need to be his friend. He is not interested in anything else except being your lover and your friend. This is what he wants to be. If you can meet him there, like you will find the most loyal man in the entire world if you will be his lover and his friend. The scene ends, and the next scene opens. Chapter 6, the daughters of Jerusalem, they hearken unto the Shulamite, the Solomon's wife, and they say, where has your lover gone, most beautiful of women? Which way did your lover turn that we may look for him with you? Listen what she says. This is brilliant. Oh, my lover? He's gone down to his garden, to the beds of spice, to browse in the gardens, to gather lilies. I am my lover's, and my lover is mine. And he browses among the, mil- among the lilies. You remember the last time we heard this phrase, right, garden? It was on the honeymoon. I might be overstepping. Forgive me if I am. Repentance. Ladies, we've been banging on the dudes for quite a while, right? Been punching them in the mouth for months and months on end. So here's just a little dab for you, okay? Just a little touch. Just touch. I'm just going to reach out. Just push a couple buttons. You can get mad about it. Send me an email if you want. All right? That's fine. Or have your husband send me an email. He won't do it. Do you notice what happens next? She didn't say, I'm so sorry. And him say, that's okay. I forgive you. And then her not return back to his desire. You remember how this fight started, right? He approached her for intimacy, and she rejected him. She goes to him, she says, I was wrong and I apologize. And she tells him how wonderful he is. And then you know what she did not do? She did not leave it there. Here's the thing, ladies. It takes a little bit of gusto for a man to build up the courage to approach you in that way. It takes a little bit. It's a little rough on the ego sometimes, ladies. But she didn't leave him out in the cold. She came back to him. Oh, oh, did you find your husband? Did you and he reconcile? She says, oh, we reconcile. We reconcile. I took him down to the garden. He browsed among the lilies. And she goes back to where they went wrong, where they veered off, and she met him there. Now, this is where I might be going too far. There are relationships in this room right now The problems you are facing right now have everything to do with you took a left at that road when you should have taken a right and you never went back to the spot. And ladies, listen close. You need to go back there if you want that man to soften up and be loving again. He will not budge until you do. You gotta go back to that place. Men, listen, it's your responsibility to trust again. You don't get to be bitter. You don't get to tangle your life up. You don't get to like start getting weird. You stay right there and you wait until she comes back to that place. I'm sorry, I left you here. My fault, that's my fault. 
Ladies, some of you left your husbands back there at this, at this fork in the road a long time ago. You didn't understand the value of this. You didn't understand how it would benefit you, how it would benefit him, how it benefits the relationship, how it benefits your children. You had no idea. It was just an, it was an easy mistake, but you never came back here. And he's still standing there, and he's probably mad. You got to go back there and have that relationship and that conversation with him. That's where that starts. These relationships can get better. Our marriages can be healthier, but we have to go back to the scene of the crime and address the issue. And then this lady says, and that's exactly what I did. Do you want to know what happens if you go meet that man there in that place and you don't leave him out in the cold? Ladies, listen how beautiful this is. Solomon speaks. Verse 4, chapter 6, verse 4. You are beautiful, my darling, as Terza, lovely as Jerusalem, majestic as troops, with banners. Turn your eyes from me. They overwhelm me. This is the king of Israel looking at a poor woman, that he, a poor young lady that he has met and married, and he says to her, turn your eyes away from me. They overwhelm me. Ladies, you want a soft man? Go back there and meet him in that spot and watch what happens to that man. He will soften before your very eyes. And he begins to speak the kindest things to her. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep coming up from the washing. Each has its twin. None of them are alone. Your temples behind your veil are like halves of pomegranates. Sixty queens... So what? 80 concubines and virgins beyond number? What about it? My dove, my perfect one, she is unique. She's the only daughter of her mother and the favorite of the family. And this is why when the maidens see you, they sing your praises. They call you blessed. The queens and the concubines praise you. All of a sudden, this man steps into a brand new place. Did you hear what just happened? He just gave this entire spiel. Did you notice what he left out? He left out all the sexual stuff. He went straight to the heart. Ladies, you want a man who focuses in on your needs? Meet his. Meet him. And if you do, look what you get. If we approach our relationships with humility, what we inevitably create is this culture of forgiveness to where mistakes happen and we go, it's okay, it's 100% okay. Nope, I need to make it up to you. Well, let me tell you how I feel about you. You are the best. I see a lot of ladies around and I'm telling you right now, you are the best. And this creates trust in our relationship it is an art you admit that you're wrong you reuse each other's words and then you re-engage and trust each other again verse 10 the daughters of jerusalem who is that that appears like the dawn fair as the moon bright as the sun Majestic as the stars in procession. Who is it? Yep. It's Solomon. It's Solomon. 
who is this fantastic man? Solomon. How did he get so great? He married a great gal. And she knows how he operates. Verse 11. Solomon speaks. I went down to the grove of nut trees and looked for new growth in the valley to see if the vines had budded or the pomegranates were in bloom. Before I realized it, my desire set me among the royal chariots of my people. Solomon says, I, I appreciate this new growth in our relationship. I went browsing around and I, here's what I've learned. We're doing okay. Like we're growing in our relationship. We got another chapter that we're going to go through. And when we do go through it, you're going to start seeing something change with Solomon and with this woman. Here's what's really interesting. And we'll talk about this next week. What's really interesting is Solomon starts off very heightened on the visual side of things considering his wife. And she starts out very low even in, uh, even in terms of her own confidence on who she is. This is where they start. Here's what happens. Solomon, this changes for him, and he dials it down, and it becomes far more emotional, and she turns up the heat in the kitchen. And now all of a sudden, her words start to sound more like his words, and his words start to sound more like her words. This is exactly what we call relationship goals. We want to move to that place. You want to know how I know I'm doing well? When I have a thought in the middle of a conversation with my wife, and she goes, you know, I was thinking, and I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that we should this, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's what that means. It means that I'm not stuck inside my Enneagram 7 spiraling out of control monkey mind, and that I have gravitated closer to where she lives over on this very rational, logical mindset. And I think to myself, I like this relationship with her. I like her mind. And we connect in that place. And this is what we're about to see. Next week, we're going to dive into that. And it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be really cool. And I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. If you want to read ahead, I want you to, I want you to notice something. Chapter 7, verse 1. Solomon speaking. Listen how he starts this. How beautiful your sandaled feet, O prince's daughter. Your graceful legs are like jewels the work of a craftsman's hands. In the previous chapters, as he has given a rundown of who she is, where has he always started? At the head. You want to know how your relationship with your spouse is deepening? You start to appreciate things you never, ever noticed before. Like, your feet look great in some sandals. The Birkenstocks, that's too bad, but I love those sandals. You start digging in to something better. You start seeing the nuances that are there. Solomon is beginning to grow as a man. In his mind, in his maturity, he's doing good. Hopefully we are too. Let's pray and then we will get out of here. Thanks for being here. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you so much for your word. We ask that you'll continue to work in our marriages, work in our families, uh, work in our lives personally so that we can be the kind of husbands and wives that you want us to be, that we can hold up that standard. Lord, we thank you so much for forgiving us and meeting us in that place.